Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. You know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if your marriage needs a touch of the heavenly. I don't know if you have a child that you long that they would really have a hunger for Jesus as you do. Maybe it's a colleague, a friend. Maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe like a family friend of ours who we would expect any day that she'll be home with Jesus. I remember growing up on their ranch And right before Christmas, the doctors simply told her, you need to just go home and get ready, let your family know. They gave her two weeks. And here she is now at the end of January, and God can do whatever he wants. Our natural tendency is to grieve the very fact that what we hunger for is for her to have her presence here. But whether she dies now at the age of 60 or lives to be the age of 80 or 90 or 100, bottom line is, Eventually, that day will come. But there's something about us. We get wrapped up in the moment, the temporal, and we long for it. And we want to push away the inevitable, but the inevitable is really what it's all about. So God may choose to heal her. And let me rephrase that. He's already healed her. Because if she dies and goes and bees with the Father today, that's a good day. Can't think of a better healing than that. But I don't know what it is. But for whatever reason you came here, I just got to believe that God wants to do something that maybe you weren't prepared for. But if you'd be open, he, He's going to do it. And He's going to acquaint us with the heavenlies. Do you hunger for it? Do you want a touch of God? Do you want to experience a little of Jesus or just kind of go through church? Because I'm going to say over and over, the world doesn't need more church. Our world needs Christ. Amen. And out of that, the church was born. And I don't think we need to get it backward. I think too often... Pastors were wanting to prop up what we're doing and get people to come as if somehow we're the cat's meow and we're not. Jesus is the cat's meow, okay? And what the church is to be is to be an example of that to the world. And so I'm going to pause for a moment and just reflect on that right now. As you look back at this past week, the lost people want to be a part of God's community because of you. Because you were with lost people this week. I don't care how you try to isolate your life. You were with lost people this week. Because God cares about lost people. And when you get saved, you become part of his redeeming or his rejection factor. You're either showing people Christ or you're pushing people away as you hide behind Christ. But everybody makes a difference. You can't stop it. You were birthed that way. You were purposed that way. 
And you're either on the train or you're off the train. But you've got to decide that for you. And so as you reflect, would people want to be a part of the church because of you? And I hope that today that'll make a difference. William Gladstone was one of the great public icons in England. He served as their prime minister, which is interesting, four different times. But what made him so amazing is he was a very committed Christian. He loved Jesus with everything that he had. Now, story has it that after one of his many speeches, a very ambitious young man came forward seeking his advice. So Gladstone asked him, what do you hope to do when you graduate from college, young man? The boy replied, well, I hope to attend law school just as you did. It's a very worthy goal, said Gladstone. But then what? Well, I hope to practice law and make a good name for myself, defending the poor and the outcasts of society, just as you did, sir. Again, Gladstone said that is a very noble goal. But then what? Well, sir, I hope one day to run for parliament and become a servant of the people as you. But then what? Well, I would hope to be able to serve our people with great distinction, evidencing integrity and a deep concern for justice, just as you did, sir. But then what? Asked Gladstone. I would hope to become prime minister and serve our people with the same vigor, dedication, vision, and integrity as you did. But then what? The young man now growing uneasy. Well, I'd hope to retire, I guess, with honors and write my memoirs so that others could learn from my mistakes as well as my triumphs, just as you did for us today, sir. Young man, these are all very, very noble goals, but I must ask again, then what? The young man thought for a moment and said, well, sir, I suppose I would then die. At that, Gladstone smiled and replied, that is correct, but then what? The young man, completely baffled, answered, well, sir, truth be told, I'd never given that any thought. To which Gladstone stated very emphatically, well, young man, the only advice I would have for you then is for you to go home, read your Bible, and think about eternity. And I think that is great advice. I think it's incredible advice. In fact, Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinketh, so he is. Permit me to add, as a man thinketh, so he lives, and so he loves. For how you think is absolutely amazing when it comes to the profound impact that you can make, and it's to that that I want to speak. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you, if you would, to go to Matthew, the book of Matthew. And if you're a guest, and if you're joining us online, I want to remind you we're in a series. If you're new, well, we've been in a series. We've been in it for four weeks. This would be our fifth. And we've been talking about a toolbox for life, that everybody has a toolbox by which they walk around, by which they live. The toolbox is the vision. What's in it are the tools or the values by which you make those decisions. Everybody here has a toolbox. A vision by which they live. What really matters. What I'm going to give my life to. 
In that toolbox are your values, those things that really matter most, and why you make the decisions that you do and the direction by which you walk. And I'm going to now unpack for you, for the next few weeks, four values that we hold very dear in this church. We have a vision. And that vision is, meet Jesus. It's that simple. We want people to meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the game changer. We don't want them to meet church, which I do want to argue for a moment that if you're sitting here listening, that's right. See, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I beg to differ. Because if you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, then you'll be the only one in heaven. Think that through for a moment. To say all I need is Jesus, but I don't need those sitting around goes completely against the very nature of who God is. For the fundamental truth about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, speaks volumes about the very nature of who God is. That God in himself is still wrapped with others in the very presentation of who he is. And a God who was in the beginning, before our beginning even began, the very reason that you and I are created is because God desires to have a relationship with you and you with him. For it is not good for man to be alone, and in the garden out of Adam, he gave him Eve. It's a fundamental reality. You cannot be a Christian without other Christians in your life. Absolutely, absolutely biblical heresy. For Paul says with, the body cannot say to itself, hey hand, I don't need you foot. Hey eye, I don't need you ear. The body is fundamentally, Paul says, God being the head, Christ being the head, and every part functioning together for the sake of the whole. We need each other. You need others, I need others. And by the way, it's the number one way that God grows us. So you can't live in isolation. And so we talked, if you will, about the importance and, and a vision that we want people to meet Jesus because that is an incredible, that is, that's the game changer. But for them to meet Jesus, we've got to be Jesus. And that was the heart of the last four weeks, helping us understand the example of Christ, learning to ask ourselves the questions that really matter. Recognizing that heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for bad people who recognize their need of Christ. Because no one's good. Because if heaven had good people, well, then you and I wouldn't need Christ because we can be good in and of ourselves. And yet the Bible says there's nothing good that's in us. The good that happens is when you and I surrender to Jesus. And then the Spirit of God takes over, of which we're going to talk about one of our values. And so that's what I want to begin with. What does it mean to have a lifestyle that is kingdom-minded? We value the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. Because this world will pass away and everything in it. That's why I don't understand, especially God's people who invest so much in this world. Why do we do that? Why do we think Wall Street's going to change our forever streets? And whatever Wall Street's worth that man puts value on 
is called pavement in heaven. Do you not understand that? The very thing that we clutch to is the very thing that we walk on up there. It holds little value to who God is. This world will pass away or you'll pass away before it does, but there is an ending date to everything that you see. And so what does it mean that we're going to spend more time on the other side than we do this side, but to live with the understanding of the other side while we're here on this side? Does that make sense? I want to talk about what it means to have a kingdom lifestyle. Let me give you two fundamental truths, and if you'd write these down, I'd appreciate it. Because these are two truths that we all know. And here's the first one. We say it all the time. We're all going to die someday. Please say it with me. We're all going to die someday. Please own it personally. Turn to someone and say, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. Why is it the fact that we, we don't even really understand that? We're all going to die. That's a fundamental truth that we all know. Sadly... There's something about it we don't know. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But we're all going to die someday. But here's the deal. But when that day comes, we're all going to die and go somewhere. We're all going to die someday. We're all going somewhere. We're all going to die someday. We're all going somewhere. The question is where, right? C.S. Lewis writes... Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. For instance, a baby feels hunger. It's an innate thing within them. That's why there's such a thing as food. God wouldn't give us a hunger without something to satisfy the desire. Does that make sense? A duckling wants to swim, C.S. Lewis writes, and why there's such a thing as water. Humans have sexual desires, and precisely why there's such a thing as sex. And all God's men said, men. That's the message. Thanks for coming. God bless you. No. (laughs) But now listen. C.S. Lewis writes, thus, if I find in myself, watch this. A desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation then is, I was made for another world. Now, now, let let me help you, Christian. Which is the word that you guys know that I don't like anymore. Let me help you, follower of Jesus. You ready for this? Every human being you meet has a heavenly desire, even though it may seem to mean nothing to them in the moment. When people say, I don't know how to lead someone to Christ, you're 99% there by the sheer fact that God created every human being. There are no such thing as atheists. They're just people who are mad at God or have been hurt by God and think they want to blame God and therefore they hide by the very fact of it. Because if they were truly an atheist, you wouldn't know it because they wouldn't really care in the first place. But the moment someone walks up and says, well, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. I don't tell them that. I just say, no, you're not. Because by the way, read Romans 1. 
If there was such a thing as a human being who would really believe in their heart there is no God, the word of God is completely defunct. Because Romans 1 says that God put in every human being the desire for something called eternity. No, and here's the word. No one is without excuse. God has made it known, even in the invisible attributes, that all that they see, that there is life beyond planet Earth. Now, if that defunct some of you, going, well, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. Because if you're in the room, well, that's a little weird. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. I don't believe there's a God, so I came to church. See, it's just odd. You and I are created for something so beyond this place. And every person has that within who they are. It's the most beautiful thing. Which, by the way, if you go to Matthew 25, and, and I, 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 I want to show you something there real quick. Before we even get to what I want to show you in just a moment, if you were to go to Matthew 25, I want to help you see something that's in God's word. Again, I'm going to use my, my cell phone because I don't care whether you have it in, if you will, actually paper and print or you want to go to your Bible app, I'm just glad you're in the Bible. But I'm reading from the ESV, and I just want to show you something before we jump in that you need to know of how God created all things. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, all the people, everyone who ever existed. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, watch this, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom of God was God's ultimate destiny before you and I were even created and created all this misery. God wants us to be with him. It's what heaven was prepared for. Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, if you would just skip down for a moment. Verse 41 then he'll say to those on his left, the goats, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I, I just want to help you understand this. God created heaven for us. He did not create hell for any of us. Which means God's love is fully expecting that no human being would ever want to be without him. He did not create hell for people. Hell is for the devil and his angels. Which means he put heaven in every one of our hearts whether you want to receive it or not. 
So I say that to say this, we're all going to die someday. And when we die, we're all going somewhere. The question is, where? Because your somewhere is going to have a great impact on your someday. And so I need to ask something real quick. Is that place, that somewhere, signed, sealed, and solidified? See, I heard it said that people don't go to hell because of their sin. People go to hell because of their unbelief. Do you realize that? That sin does not send you to hell? You will not go to hell because of your sin. Jesus took care of that on the cross. Sin is no longer the issue. That's why I share with you, God has never sent anyone to hell because he expects that all would want to be with him forever. The reason people go to hell is not because God sent them there. He took care of the problem. It's because I can't imagine what this does to God's heart, that there are people who actually choose to want to be there. That just, that I, I don't even know where to go with that. There are people who want to go to hell. So what do you believe? Because that's the difference between heaven and hell. What do you believe? What do you really believe right now? And where is that belief taking you? We're all going somewhere, but we're all going someday of which none of us know, right? See, you and I get to choose the somewhere. If you'll just believe God gave us the gift through Jesus Christ, nothing that you and I can do of it ourselves, but if we would choose, for God so loved he gave, but if we believe, we would have everlasting life, the very thing that God purposed in our hearts. You with me? But we can control that. We just don't know. Like, like for instance, let me get a show of hands. How many know when they're going to die? That's what I thought. <laughs> now, I don't know how you and your spouse were coming to church. I'm sure some of you ladies might go, I know when he is. Okay, all right. <laughs> but listen, we know where we do not know when. It's like Ole and Sven. I don't know if you heard about this. They loved baseball. Y'all know Ole and Sven. These are true stories, by the way. I mean, they loved <laughs> baseball. They talk about baseball. They'd hang about baseball. Everything was about baseball. So they made a pack that when one of them would die, they would beg of God to allow them to at least come back for a moment and tell them if there's baseball in heaven. Well, as fate would have it, Sven died. Oli grieved. Night after night, for a few nights, he couldn't even sleep. And all of a sudden, one night, he looked up, and guess who was at the end of his bed? Sven. Sven. He jumped out of bed and said, Sven, I can't believe it. He goes, holy, holy. Listen, I know, I know you want to know, and God, God gave me this gift to come back and tell you about baseball in heaven. And I got good news, and I got bad news. 
He goes, what's the good news? There's baseball. And it's amazing. He says, what's the bad news? You're pitching tomorrow. (laughs) See, none of us knows when. None of us knows when. See, I made a statement a few weeks ago. We were talking about the very thing of heaven. And if you might remember, if you were here, if not, here's what I said. Heaven is not a place of which is to come. Heaven is supposed to be lived out right here and now. Now, I made that statement, and a very close friend of mine, a few days later, said, Pastor, I've always thought that heaven was a place of which I would go someday. I just didn't understand when you said, heaven is here right now. And I'm going to help you understand what it means to have a kingdom lifestyle, a kingdom mindset, a kingdom heart set that we're living it here right now and why we value the kingdom of God first and foremost above everything else. So if you got your Bibles again, Matthew 25, and I'm going to go to the very beginning of the chapter now. Matthew 25, and here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. So anytime you see red letters, I think we need to pay attention. The kingdom of heaven will be like. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. We got ten virgins who went to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all of the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, since there would not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. One translation says, and the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins, the foolish ones, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open the door. Notice what they call him. Lord, Lord. And Jesus himself said in the early parts of Matthew, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? We read your Bible. We did miracles. We went to church. We didn't miss. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I remind you, no good people go to heaven. It's not what you do that will get you there. It's not even who you know as much as does the who know you. Because any good that comes out of our lives is flowing through us for the very nature of the spirit within us. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, 
for you know neither the day nor the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. If you got your notes, I want to give you two keys then to living, if you will, a heavenly lifestyle. How do we have today an eternal existence that every day we walk? And here's the first thing. You need to live for that someday. We're going somewhere that we can make a difference. We can choose that. We just don't know when. So since we don't know when, we need to live for that someday. Correct? See, here's the deal. If we're all going somewhere in that place of which we can control, and we say heaven is that place, but we don't know when that place shall come, if you will, that I'm going to die and be in heaven, according to what Jesus just said, well, you ought to live today as if that someday was today. You need to live for that someday. Matthew 25, 13, you must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. You don't know it. And it could be today. See, this is why we say some things like this, that, that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And yet you have couples coming and say, listen, but we're going to get married. Okay, so let's just go down that place right now. We're going to get married. We're going to get married coming in May. But he comes back in April and you're lying in bed having sex with someone you're not married to before the Almighty God. That's not living for someday. That's living for your way. See, the question is, what really matters to you? We don't get the privilege to take what we think into our own hands and justify the very way that we live as if God's okay with it. He gave us a truth and that truth will set us free. Not our manipulation of it. That's the foolish virgins. They're not keeping the lamp lit. They're trying to live the way they want to live and justify it. And our culture has been slowly eroding at those very truths. We should live someday as if it could happen today. You know, I read about a pastor whose dear friend had called him to tell him that he had been diagnosed with cancer. The doctor's given me only six months to live, he said. The pastor expressed sympathy and promised to pray for him and his family. But then the pastor added, listen to what he says, but keep in mind, I may be dead before you. Oh, said his friend, do you have cancer too? He says, no. It's just that I do not have the promise of even one day, much less six months. We're all mortal, are we not? which means we could die today. But therein lies the problem. We assume that the odds are for us rather than a God who's for us. And so we live to play the odds rather than live in the favor of God. And we assume we have to tomorrow. But can anybody here right now stand up and guarantee everybody in this room, 
I'll be alive tomorrow. To say that goes against what Jesus just said. No one knows how you're living. If we're going to have a kingdom lifestyle, we need to live for that someday. For that someday. I can't control when, but I can control where. And so can you. If you got your Bibles, go back one chapter to Matthew 24. I just want you to listen again as Jesus is building up to this passage. Matthew 24, look what it says, beginning in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. It's right there. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor even the Son of God. Only the Father knows. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, watch what's happening. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were still unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. What is it about us? That's why I say COVID didn't change us. I think it exposed many of us. See, my life didn't change because of COVID. That, that, please, please hear this. That would be ignorant on my part to assume that something on this earth could change anything he's already put in my heart. That's just crazy. Why would my life change? This isn't anything new in the sense of pandemics. History will tell you that. They come, they go. But I'm the Lord God that changeth not. He who builds on this rock, that when the rains come and the winds blow and COVID happens, they shall stand. It's just, it, just, it just happens. Look what it says. Verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. What's he saying? Not everybody's going to heaven. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So live for that someday, live for that someday. Let me give you two keys to living for that someday. Write these in. Here's the first one. I can't control, let me just say it this way. I can't control much here. I, in fact, I have no control. If there's anything I've learned in 21 years of pastoring a church, because it's the only church I've pastored, I've been on staff at many churches. But if there's one thing I've learned this, I can't control anything here. I can only really control this here. And so if you want to live for that someday today, here's the first thing. Grow yourself rightly. Grow yourself rightly. Peter tells us in 2 Peter, grow in the grace and the knowledge, and we're going to talk about that next week, of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what he called him, not just Savior, but also Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But we're to grow Paul writes in Ephesians 4, we're to grow up 
in every way in him. In every way that Christ was, we're to grow like that. James tells us it's a kind of growth that will make us perfect and complete. Notice what he just said. It's the kind of growth that will make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word perfect means without blemish. The word complete means to be blameless. God wants us without blemish, and he wants us to be blameless. So how are you growing? Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. The Son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning to speak, to inject his kind of life and thoughts into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. Hold on to that because I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But watch what he says. That part of you that doesn't like it is the part that's still tin. See, growing in God means that not only is God helping me if you will, to become more like Christ, he's also showing me what is not like Christ. So as I'm growing rightly, the question isn't just how am I growing, but what needs to be going. See, that's, therein lies the problem. Because I listen to some Christians sometimes come to me and say, oh man, I'm just, I'm just not cutting it. And I smile and go, isn't that great? God's revealing to you something you need to surrender. Growing is not just getting what you want or becoming like the desire or the desired outcome, but it's also in the midst of it, there's some things that I've got to realize that need to go out the door. God's showing me not just who Christ is, but he's also helping me understand what my humanity is and to surrender. That's what it means to grow yourself rightly. See, listen, let me say it this way. Any imprint that I will leave here, whether good or bad, has everything to do with my honest intentions here. And let me put you all on the spot. Every person here will leave a fingerprint, a footprint, whatever you want. You will make an imprint on this world, whether good or bad. And all of that has to do with your intentions here. And God already knows. Am I just an insurance policy? Or did you surrender for me to completely have you die on a cross so I can resurrect you into the newness of who I purposed you to be? What's your intentions? Are you growing rightly? Because if you grow rightly, here's number two, you will show yourself righteously. If you grow yourself rightly, you will show yourself righteously. See, here's the deal. How you grow always shows. It just does. Paul tells us we're to be Christ's ambassadors and that God is making his appeal through us. Think about that. We're to be Christ's ambassadors. Do you remember what I told you? An ambassador does not exist to fix the country they're in. An ambassador exists to represent the country they're from. I don't want to fix this world. God doesn't want to fix this world. Revival isn't making this place better. 
Revival happens when you and I walk in the goodness of God because our goal is to take as many as we can with us to the kingdom of God. The Bible even says this place isn't going to get better. There'll come a day, it's called the day of Armageddon. There's a moment this place is going to end. It's going to destroy itself. God's going to let it happen. And then he's going to rebuild his kingdom on earth. That's in the Bible. I don't want my life to try to make this place better. I want to represent the place that I call home. I want to grow rightly so I can show righteously. Because Paul says we are speaking on the behalf of Christ. So how are you growing? Because that's what you're showing. You know, Randy Alcorn says it this way. The moment after a man dies, he knows exactly how he should have lived. The absolute certainty of death gives the gospel its urgency. But then Paul says in Philippians, and this is, this is the game changer right here. For me to live as Christ right now, living for that someday, growing rightly so I can show people righteously. But then he says this. So to live is Christ right now, today. But then he adds these words. But to die is, anybody? To die is gain. To die is better. For me to live is Christ. I'm going to live Today, as this might be that someday, because I don't know when that day is, so I'm going to live every day like it could be today. But then he says this, that's a good thing, but to die is better. So we need to live for that someday, because it could be today. You with me? But now watch this. But here's the second key to having a kingdom lifestyle, a kingdom mindset, a kingdom heart set. We need to love like that somewhere. You live for that someday, but you love like that somewhere. In other words, if heaven is really my home, then I need to love like I'm already there. Think about that. That's why we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. To hold on to a grudge neglects that that day could happen today and I'm definitely not living like I'm already there. As if like when I die, then I'll look at God and say, okay, I'll let it go. My Bible says that God said, I'm going to treat you as you treated others. I'm going to forgive you as you forgive others. See, we're not living like heaven. And that's why Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven is your home, then you should be loving as if you're already there. How are you doing? You've heard the adage, home is where your heart is. Home is where your heart is. And Jesus says, what? Your mouth is going to speak what's in the heart. And if heaven is where my home is, and that's where my heart is, well, then my love should be evidencing that heart, should it not? Psychology Today, this is in a secular magazine. Listen to what it says. Home is that place where you feel in control as well as properly oriented in time and space. 
It goes on to say, a strong attachment to the place that we call home, listen to this, results in a greater satisfaction in the world of which we reside. Home will center you and provide order in times of chaos. That's why you hear people say something like this. Oh, what's the worst thing that could happen? Die? <laughs> That's why they say it that way. Why? This isn't my home. I'm not going to get freaked out about this place. I'm going to die whether it's today or tomorrow. I don't know when. But today, I'm going to make today count. And today, I'm going to live as if I did die. I'm home. I don't know if you've seen the movie Wizard of Oz. It'll date most of us. It's the most amazing running long, if you will. Some say the greatest movie ever, ever done for a lot of different reasons. It was actually filmed in the late 30s. Put that in perspective. And we're still watching it every year on television. But I think there's a, an incredible depth that's so often missed. Over and over, there's this part of Dorothy, as you know, in the very beginning of the movie. She has this lady who she's not real fond of. A tornado comes in and sweeps the house in which she's left in with her little dog Toto. And they go over to the other side of a place that is over the rainbow. It moves from black and white to color, which made it one of those iconic films of its time. She's in a place that she knows she's there. She's not realizing she's dreaming this. We find that out later, but then not sure if she actually did. But it's a place of beauty. It's a place of everything you could imagine. Of course, you remember, it's that one moment when we're little kids watching and we're up in the tornado and she sees all this stuff from a from a flying cow and then here comes gulch right. remember dun 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 it's the one time when you're a little kid you just want to go ah, ah, and I'm like your third grade teacher you know what I mean there she goes by ah, you know what I mean but but here's the deal almost the whole movie is her in Oz but it's not her in Oz that makes the impact. It's this deep heart passion to be home. Oz is an amazing place. If I could play on it, maybe the wizard is God. She's told over and over, he has the ability to get you to where you want to be. And through the whole course of her journey, she has this one phrase, there's no place like, there's no place like. And it's not her presence in Oz that makes the impact. It's the deep desire that she wants to be home, where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, at least from her perspective at this point, there's just something about home. And in this longing of what she never, ever stops walking and talking, she changes the life 
of a brainless scarecrow, a heartless tin man, and a cowardly lion. For my life to make an impact in yours, it won't be a profession of what God can do here and now. It'll be the testimony of how we live of what's still to come. And if that messes with you, I'm okay if you don't even get it yet. I just hope you'll go home and really think about that. I'm not driven by trying to help you meet Jesus that can change your life here and now. I want you to meet Jesus who said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and I will take you out of this cesspool of pain and ugliness and hate. All of that stuff that we chase that has no meaning, who we think it does and the only reason we're chasing it is because we've really probably never settled the issue. But when you know that your name is in that book, And I will deliver you from this because I am a God who keeps my promise. And even though you're walking through this, it's going to be temporary because I guarantee you there's going to be a resurrection one day because I'm the Lord God. I not only go before you, but I will come and walk with you and I will be your God. You be my people. And just like Dorothy, there's just no place like home. And in a moment of time, she's delivered back into the room of where she bumped her head. And she's laying there. And she's wide-eyed. And she goes, I had this dream. And you were there. And you and you, you. But you couldn't have been, could you? But it doesn't matter. Aunt Em, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And when you and I get that and the kingdom becomes such a value, I will live today for that someday because I don't know that could be today. But while I'm here, I'm going to love as if I'm already there. I'm already home because there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Say it with me. There's no place like home. There's just no place. No place. That's a game changer, folks. That's the fundamental game changer and why we value in our toolbox to have people meet Jesus and to be Jesus because we want them to experience the kingdom of God forever and ever because there's no place like home. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith that I know someday that day will come. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, therefore I'm going to love as if I'm already there. But since we belong to the day, let us put on faith and love. I know whom I believe, as Paul said, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. That's why Paul said, so I'll fight the good fight. I'll finish the race. I've kept the faith. And now what's waiting for me is a crown of glory, which the Lord God will give to me on that day. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me, but I know the one who holds today and I'll leave that tomorrow in his hands. This might be the last time I ever see you. It might be the last time you see me, at least this side of heaven. I have today. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, may I love today as if I'm already home with the Lord. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, sometimes we feel like we're so alone. Everything's against us. Satan is relentless. He never stops. But then the tide, the tide comes in and brings us a sail. And here we are. But I love those words. <laughs> I know what I need to keep doing. Who knows what the tide will bring. For the sun will come up tomorrow. Because the sun, if I may add, has already come down from heaven. In him we have life. That we can live right now and love the same. God, if we could hold that so dear in our vision as a value to live the kingdom of God now. Wow. Every moment. Maybe we need to write it on a three by five card and put it on the dashboard of our car's kingdom. Maybe we need to go home and write it on the mirror in the bathroom kingdom or on the door of the refrigerator or even maybe on the inside. Do we need to post it on our desk? Maybe put it on the very thing that when our cell phone comes on, there it is, kingdom. We are not of this world. We are citizens of something far beyond, so much greater, but that's in us right now. And every day we live 
as if today could be that day. And love as if we're already there. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.